visit us at facebook.com slash securefreedom with Frank Gaffney. We're back, and it's a delight to say we're joined by another of our featured guests here at Secure Freedom Radio. He is the great Gordon Chang, truly one of our country's most eminent and influential experts on China, and for that matter, Asia, and much of the world, as they are increasingly now under the influence of uh, the Chinese Communist Party, of course. Um, Gordon is a published author of great renown, including a book, The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. He is an essayist uh, at Newsweek and the Gatestone Institute, among other outlets. Um, We are privileged to have him with us to uh, visit about the sorts of issues that I think are increasingly urgent. And we're going to start, uh, Gordon, if we may, with your take on um, a report just issued by the Pentagon, I, I think rather reluctantly, frankly, by the Biden administration, about Chinese military power. This is an annual publication. Have you had a chance to look at it? And what are the important takeaways from it? As you see them. Yeah, the important takeaway is that China is building a military to invade its neighbors. This buildup is one of the fastest in history. And the one item that caught everybody's eye was that uh, China, uh, according to the Pentagon, will have a thousand nuclear warheads by the end of the decade. Um, many people think that they already have a thousand. Um, many I'm people think that they certainly. And also many people think that uh, China is racing ahead and will have a larger nuclear arsenal than America's within perhaps two years. We don't know. And the big issue here, Frank, is that China is not willing to talk with the United States or the international community. If you remember, of course, in the Cold War, the U.S. and the Soviet Union, despite great antagonism, we're willing to sit down and actually discuss their arsenals in a way to try to avoid Armageddon. The Chinese have shown absolutely no interest in doing that. To the contrary, I think it's fair to say they are interested in building up uh, not only nuclear, but also conventional capabilities, Gordon. And one of the things that I think has caught a lot of people by surprise, including it seems a lot of senior U.S. military personnel, is the rapidity with which they are expanding their naval forces and capabilities, uh, some of which, of course, are associated with nuclear weapons, but many of them are um, amphibious ships and uh, aircraft carriers and um, even logistical support vessels that uh, are clearly designed to challenge the United States Navy, uh, not just in the Western Pacific, I gather, but worldwide. How do you see that part of this report? Well, clearly China is building up its conventional forces fast. Um, and as you say, it's, it's Navy and it's Air Force. Um, and this really is shows that, um, you know, when we look at history, really no nation has actually engaged in such a fast buildup and not used its military to invade neighbors. China's already invaded India. It did that last May, May of uh, last year. And it's a real indication of Beijing's intention to dismember um, its neighborhood. Uh, you know, we've got to, when we, when we think about this, um, 
We are now, um, with our trade and investment, um, giving China the means to develop its military, which is configured to kill Americans. And it's incumbent on us to cut these economic investment financial ties. I mean, history will look back. I mean, what are we going to say to the parents of service people, um, men and women killed by China when they ask us, well, you had the means to stop this. You could have stopped off. You could have stopped the blood supply to those who meant us harm and you chose not to do so. So. Frank, I look at this as, of course, a question of Chinese aggression, but I'm much more concerned about the feebleness of the American political system. It's across the spectrum of liberals, Democrats, conservatives, Republicans. This is on us, Frank. Um, this is not so much a question of China. Um, we've seen this with so many aggressors in the past. Um, this is a question of American will and determination to defend our republic. We don't have it. Gordon, this is such an important point on so many different levels. Um, I, I talked in our previous segment with Bill Walton about the Securities and Exchange Commission very belatedly uh, saying, well, yeah, probably we do need to know what is actually the accounting realities of these various companies in which Americans are having immense amounts of funds invested by, you know, the masters of the universe on Wall Street, like uh, Larry Fink of BlackRock, for example. Um, but it's still going to be three years from now before any of these companies have to actually meet that test. And that's, by the way, only if they are in consecutive years refusing to allow American, you know, uh, accounting firms to uh, to look at their books. This is this is a problem for investors. It's a problem in terms of, uh, as you say, the kind of underwriting we're doing, because that money is essentially uh, found money, some would say, fungible for sure, uh, for the Chinese Communist Party to do malevolent things against us. And it's uh, you're so right to be calling for an end to these sweetheart deals that uh, are going to get Americans killed. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Um, Gordon, you started off by talking about China preparing to invade their neighbors. Um, I fear that in the process, they probably have in mind doing some harm to at least our forces that might be interposed to um, interfere with that plan. But but talk a bit about uh, part of the the threat vectors that China is mounting under the Chinese Communist Party that doesn't get nearly enough attention in this country, though I know you are closely following it, namely. Uh, the border um, disputes with the Indians that uh, keep flaring up, and and the Chinese seem to be arming up uh, to prosecute. Yeah, in May of last year, um, Chinese troops moved below the line of actual control into Indian-controlled territory in Ladakh in the Himalayas, and there's also Chinese incursions in India's Sikkim. Um, what we're witnessing right now is their um, buildup, Chinese buildup of uh, a substantial buildup on their side of the border. And that's a real indication that they intend to move south into India in force. Um, and of course, India right now is also bulking up its troops and forces on the southern side of that border. Um, this is a buildup which has been going on now for maybe more than six months. Um, there have been skirmishes. Um, there have been deaths on both sides. 
And it's a real indication that China intends to move into India in much greater forces than it has up to now. This, of course, brings us back to the 1962 war. Um, but um, right now, um, India does have nuclear weapons. It tested one recently, and Beijing understands correctly that that is a warning. Um, so this is a situation which involves not only China and India, but also Pakistan. Um, Pakistan could very well cause problems that would trigger a wider conflict. And as we've talked about before, Frank, if there is conflict in India or anywhere else along China's periphery, um, China's friends like Russia, North Korea, Iran, Pakistan, uh, Algeria could very well take advantage of the situation. We could find ourselves in a multi-front conflict, um, what some people would call World War III, both ends of the Euro-Asian landmass, North Africa, and God knows where else. I, I wanted to actually tease that out with you, Gordon, so I'm, I'm very pleased that you, you know, laid this dire prospect in front of us. Um, there is a new law that the Chinese have promulgated recently. Um, I believe it's called the Land Borders Law. As I've been given to understand, it essentially gives them carte blanche, the Chinese communists, to rewrite their borders at will. Uh, unilaterally. And this could presumably be a precursor to um, the attack that you've sort of forecast against India. Um, there's been talk of, of, you know, them doing sort of a pincer move uh, against Kashmir uh, with the Pakistanis. Um, but to your larger point, Gordon, um, there's, of course, in the background, uh, simultaneously, the prospect that they could move against Taiwan, uh, though one would think it folly to undertake a two-front war, if one can. But to the extent that they could rely upon uh, allies or uh, proxies, if you will, uh, like North Korea, to act up whenever all that starts going down uh, and creating distractions, tying down forces, uh, using up logistical support and the like um these are these are the sorts of things that uh you know may seem like worst case scenarios but they seem very real given what we're witnessing the chinese doing right now again despite the fact that as you know so well their doctrine going back to census time is uh it's better to win without fighting so how how realistic would you say, or imminent, more to the point, might this kind of, well, very far-ranging, perhaps global conflict be? Well, Frank, um, you know, this is not just a question of China invading its neighbors um, with or without the help of its friends. This is also the question of an accidental um, conflict where China, um, with its very dangerous maneuvering of its planes and its ships, um, could cause an accidental uh, conflict with um, um, the U.S. Navy, U.S. Air Force, or Taiwan, or whoever, and that could spiral into um, a conflict that we just talked about. In Beijing right now, um, only hostile answers are considered to be politically acceptable. I don't know if China could pull back um, when it made sense to do so. So we have to consider all sorts of scenarios. 
We have a Pentagon that is now planning for war in the 2027-2035 timeframe, and that means they are taking out old platforms, in other words, existing weapons, in order to pay for modernization for the war that they think will come in the future. I tend to think that that's absolutely wrong. We need to deter China now, that the possibility of conflict is greater now than it is in the later timeframes for various internal Chinese reasons. I mean, of course, no one knows for sure, but I think our Pentagon is taking steps to decrease the lethality, of, and that is just absolutely wrong, um, and that is encouraging the Chinese to move earlier rather than later. So I think that this there needs to be renewed debate in the Pentagon about the assumption that they won't have to fight until the end of this decade at the earliest. You build your forces on that theory, you are almost certainly going to be surprised. And I think the Chinese are the people who would uh, do that surprise in a heartbeat and uh, and maybe quite imminently, Gordon Chang. Uh, let me just drill down on a point that you've sort of touched on just now and, and a bit earlier um, in terms of the nuclear threat from China. Um, there is uh, a report out, as I'm sure you're aware, Gordon, that um, the Chinese have established out in the Taklamakan Desert um, a sort of facility, if you will. I, I'm not sure that's the right word for it, but uh, they've they've essentially built targets um, that are very high fidelity replicas, really, of uh, at least from overhead. Um, aircraft carriers of the United States and um, their escorts, the Aegis destroyers, um, as you know, things that are to be at the receiving end, presumably, of um, intermediate range ballistic missiles designed to destroy them, perhaps with nuclear weapons, um, perhaps uh, you know, just through kinetic force or explosions of a conventional kind. Um, what does the Pentagon report say about that, if anything, Gordon, or what should be our takeaway at a minimum? Well, this disclosure was after the Pentagon issued its report. Um, I'm, this is not the first time China's built mock-ups of U.S. Navy vessels in the desert. But, um, you know, it's, it's just one more indication that China intends to fight a war with the United States, certainly preparing to do so. And um, we, although uh, the Pentagon is still focus, is focusing on China, it's not focusing with the same determination that the Chinese are. And they're certainly not devoting the same uh, resources that the Chinese are. So in this particular time, we are losing ground, even though as we start to think about China, uh, the Chinese are very far ahead of us and moving faster than we are. Uh, that's the fear. Something that is being compounded, apparently, by a policy uh, review, the so-called nuclear posture review, that is uh, now nearing completion. Uh, you've written in your column at Newsweek about the prospect that the Biden administration may adopt something that, whatever they choose to call it, um, amounts to a no first use policy with respect to nuclear weaponry. This has been a, a passion of the radical left and Joe Biden over many years. Of course, it's another example of unilateral disarmament, as you put it. 
But I, I just wonder what your thoughts are on the prospect that we would take such a step at a moment when we need to be maximizing our deterrence um, rather than curbing it, either by dis, you know, dismantling or moving from the force uh, older weapons or um, by policy fiat. Even if one thought no first use was a good idea, and it's not, but even if one did, now would not be the time to disrupt uh, our strategic posture by uh, such a radical change, um, because we see that China and Russia are building up their nuclear stocks. China, although it says it has a no first use policy, um, has been threatening to incinerate Japanese and Australian cities uh, since July. Um, so clearly now is not the time to do this. Um, and by the way, uh, on no first use, um, the alternative to no first use is a far, uh, far faster buildup of conventional weapons. Um, because if you're not going to use nukes first to deter an aggressor, then you have to have a much larger conventional force. And the Biden administration is not doing that at all. It's keeping the U.S. military at about the same size. Um, so this is wrongheaded. This is something that could trigger World War III. And um, I, I just don't understand the strategic impulse to do this. Um, it's just absolutely wrong. And every time you change nuclear policy, you cause ripples throughout the world. The one ripple here is that our, our allies are pleading with the Biden administration not to adopt no first use. And if we were to adopt that, they probably would develop nuclear weapons of their own. There would be rapid proliferation. The Biden administration is just so wrongheaded on this. I don't know even where to begin. Well, my theory of the piece, which we've talked about earlier in the program and frequently in the course of these shows, is that it's only explicable by uh, a realization that what the Biden team is about is truly a wrecking operation against the United States, its national security interests, its economy, its people, for that matter. And I'm sorry to say that the, the evidence continues to accumulate, whether it's, again, on the policy side or the programmatic side, whether it's the military piece or any of the others, the border, um, our economy, and so on. So we got a world of hurt here, uh, Gordon. Let me turn, um, though, to another uh, guy who has, we've been told, a bit of a world of hurt going on as well, and that would be Xi Jinping. Um, you've probably done as much as anybody to document the challenges that he's facing internally um, with respect to his uh, economy, these uh, huge real estate concerns with respect to pollution, with respect to the, uh, the sorts of fights that he's picking and their pros prospect for being quite unpopular at home if they wind up entailing large losses of uh, only children, uh, male children at that. Um, talk, if you would, about this sixth party plenum this week and uh, what it suggests about his hold on power uh, going forward as well. Well, at the sixth point, of, um, and this is a meeting of the Central Committee, um, there's going to be a number of things. The one item that has attracted the most attention is a rewriting of party history. Um, and people say that Xi Jinping has been able to do this, which shows his power inside the party. And that is not an unreasonable interpretation. 
I tend to view Xi Jinping must be weak, um, largely because he's accumulated uh, power, which means he's accumulated responsibility at a time when his policies have come under attack. We know less and less about what's going on inside the party and indeed inside China itself as the country closes itself off. Um, but nonetheless, when, when a country does that, um, we have seen in, in prior um, instances, China goes through a period of tragedy. Um, and that, of course, is now going to ripple out. The, the one important aspect here is that um, Mao Zedong, uh, the founder of the People's Republic, um, started the Cultural Revolution as a way to try to consolidate his position in Beijing um, by using the Chinese people against his elite enemies. Um, Xi Jinping, uh, who reveres Mao, is, is basically doing the same thing um, in a different way with his common prosperity program and with his other moves. But unlike Mao, Xi Jinping does have the power to plunge the world into war. And uh, Xi Jinping might take steps to do that um, for various reasons, because his interests are so very different from uh, the, ours. And I think that he can take us by surprise, which is the reason that makes this period so dangerous right now, because we don't understand uh, and have little visibility into what's going on in Beijing. And is that as a practical matter partly because we're not looking at what's going on there? Is it is it the willful blindness of uh, American officials who, as I discussed with Bill earlier in the program, um, are deeply compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, Gordon, and find it, um, uh, well, necessary, given their relationship with the Chinese, not to make waves, not to uh, call attention to or, or have, say, take advantage of those kinds of internal difficulties for Xi? There are a number of reasons, Frank. Um, on our side, um, I guess the administration, there are some people who are compromised, but more important, the administration has a view of China which is outdated. Um, if it was ever um, accurate at all, it certainly is outdated a view that we must cooperate with China, that we need to engage with China to strengthen it. And that is far more important than any problem, you know, with regard to the corruption of the Biden family or Biden officials. Um, but there's another aspect to it, and that is China is closing itself off and um, it's throwing out American journalists. It is uh, removing foreign influences. We have uh, far less visibility into the Chinese system than we once did. So we're knowing less and less about it. Um, and that means it's um, on both sides. You know, as both societies, to a certain extent, decouple, um, which I believe in general is a good thing, but nonetheless, what it does have is one effect that we know less about what's going on inside China right now. And so you put all those factors together, it means that um, it's much more difficult to understand the significance of events when we see those events in the first place at all. And sometimes we don't. Um, and especially given their tradition of deception and disinformation and uh, manipulation of such evidence as is presented at their internal situation and deliberations, of course. Um, Gordon, lastly, and very quickly, uh, there is talk that the Chinese are, among other things now, confronting an uptick in COVID you know, deaths and, uh, and, you know, infections. Um, do we have any confidence in information about their own 
problems in that regard? Well, we have confidence that the um, outbreaks are accelerating across China, including in Beijing. Um, of course, we don't have confidence in their reported numbers of infections. Um, they have not reported a coronavirus death in something like a year. The number is 4,664 or 36. Um, so that, that number has not changed. That is not likely, of course. And the number of infections also doesn't correlate with what we know about the way the coronavirus has um, behaved uh, outside of China. But um, clearly, China is locking itself down. And um, this is going to be because the number of infections relate goes directly to the legitimacy of the Communist Party. Uh, of course, we don't have uh, uh, confidence in, in what they're telling us, but we do know that it is uh, spreading across China in an uncontrolled fashion. Wow. So despite their lockdowns, despite their um, vaccines, uh, despite uh, obviously the, the totalitarian character of their uh, China model, which they've uh, foisted upon us, among others around the world, um, they're not seemingly getting this thing under control, uh, let alone, you know, having the success that they have long claimed um, is their due. So again, another factor in the internal dynamics that um, may make uh, it more likely rather than less that Xi Jinping will seize this moment to act aggressively, not just against India, not just against Taiwan, uh, but perhaps others in the region and us for that matter. Gordon Chang, nobody follows this better and more closely than you. We're so privileged to have you with us each week. and We look forward to an update next week. And in the meantime, my friend, thank you for your time today and stay well. You're a national treasure. I hope the rest of you will do one other thing in addition to joining us again uh, this time tomorrow, same time, same station. Um, that is follow Gordon at Gordon G. Chang. He's, uh, as I say, a national treasure. Thanks to all of you for listening. Come back to us again tomorrow. Until then, this is Frank Affney, over and out. been listening to Secure Freedom Radio with Frank Gaffney. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute, an aspect of the Biden administration's Marxist wrecking operation that is now either directly or indirectly harming every American is its takedown of U.S. energy security. Instead of independence from unreliable, if not hostile, sources of energy, Biden's team seems determined to increase our reliance on such sources. For example, the White House confirmed yesterday that it's reviewing the environmental grounds for shutting down yet another pipeline from Canada to the U.S. Such a step will likely make more urgent President Biden's humiliating begging of OPEC to send us more of their fossil fuels. At a minimum, it will increase the already soaring costs of energy here and intensify the stagflationary economic nightmare that has become a hallmark of the Biden presidency. Voting nationwide last week suggests that the American people want relief from such ideologically driven punishment, not more of it. This is Frank Gaffney. 
I'm Robert Muse, co-founder of the American Freedom Law Center, a national public interest law firm that fights for faith and freedom in federal and state courts across the country. Make no mistake, we are living in dangerous times. Left-wing progressives in government are assaulting our constitution like no other time in the history of our great nation. Indeed, we hear politicians at the highest levels of government and a major political party espousing what they believe to be the benefits of socialism and the unrestrained growth of the federal government. Fortunately, our constitution was designed to prevent tyranny and to protect liberty. It enshrines fundamental freedoms and the Bill of Rights, which was designed as a break on the power of government. In short, our Constitution was designed to protect private citizens like you and me from the tyranny of government. I can assure you that the American Freedom Law Center will do its part to hold tyrannical government officials accountable in our courts of law so that we, the people, remain a free people. You can support the important work of the American Freedom Law Center with a tax-deductible donation. Please visit our website at www.americanfreedomlawcenter.org. History was made on today's date. Stay tuned for an American Minute with Bill Federer. On this day, November 9, 1954, President Eisenhower spoke at the National Conference on the spiritual foundation of American democracy. He stated, Now Dr. Lowry said something about my having certain convictions as to a God in heaven and an almighty power. Well, I don't think anyone needs a great deal of credit for believing in what seems to me to be obvious. Eisenhower concluded, and no matter what democracy tries to do in terms of individual liberty, when you come back to it, there is just one thing. Man is worthwhile because he was born in the image of God. This has been an American Minute with Bill Federer. For a free transcript, call American Minute at 1-888-USA-WORD.